I have, I'm going to say my family, because you are my family, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so, Jay Renee, right? Yeah, Jay Renee. Jay Renee. And we are going to talk about you, your activism, your community involvement, and how you help wake up the community and help them stay woke. How's that sound? Okay. All right. I'm with it. I'm with it. All right. I'm glad. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. You're welcome. So I, I actually am thankful and I'm honored to finally get to meet you. I've heard about you and read about you and seen all the great things. So I'm glad that we actually had the opportunity to link up and actually do this um, officially. So thank you so much. Right. Grateful. I am so grateful. Um, but thank you. So thank you. Let's start with talking about you because we know how people okay. just love to talk about themselves, right? <laughs> Yeah, some of us. Not me so much, but, you know, I've gotten used to it, you know. I know. I don't like it either. Yeah, it's not one of my greatest things either. But most of us who do activism and are in the humanitarian world are not ones to really talk about ourselves. So here's an opportunity for you. (laughs) Right? So here's your opportunity to shine some light and toot your horn. Okay. Um, well, my name is Jay Renee. Um, I have an organization named Hip Hop Humanism. I founded it with Dana Dane back in 2017. And the initial purpose of creating that was to highlight, showcase, and promote positive hip hop artistry. Me and Dana Dane and many others believe that there's a power in music, especially in hip hop. If you look over the decades of how it shaped our communities and how it's affected how we dress and where we went, even our vernacular, hip hop definitely has a big influence, um, not only on the world, but the, you know, the black and urban communities. So it started as that. And then once I moved back to Delaware, I retired from the military. I moved back to Delaware and I was sitting on my grandfather's porch and I just couldn't help but notice the extreme differences from when I was there growing up as a kid to what it had became in 2017. Mm -hmm. So I started to pay more attention and then I started to notice that that there was a lot more crime, a lot more um, crime on people, the citizens within the urban community on themselves. So I started to look up statistics. And I found out in 2017 in the um, Delaware, Wilmington more specifically, the average black male by 21 was either dead or had been, had some type of running with police. And I, and because I had the ability to remember when I was growing up and now I'm an adult coming back, I seen it and couldn't dispute the drastic differences. So I was like, man, these kids need a way out. Like, they need something else to do, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's when we decided that we were going to start making programs for children using ABCD, which is Acid-Based Community Development. And all that is is you go into an area and you assess what they already have. You find out what the youth and the people are interested in. And then you just kind of do project management. You make everybody work together for a cause that, you know, is for the community. For example, say we go into a community and the kids are really into sports and you have like little different sports things or retired people that do sports or you might have people that, you know, do food donations. Well, we would make all those people work together and then we would come up with a program for sports for kids, Mm -hmm. you know, and try to make it something that they could do yearly so it can grow and be something that their grandchildren or their children might can enjoy. Um, after the thing started happening as far as the climate um, with the police and things like that and more and more specifically with George Floyd, we had to become more active as far as what was going on in our communities and around the United States as far as police citizen contact Mm -hmm. and we became more active as far as fighting against police brutality Uh, we started paying attention more into you know the unjust laws and you know 
abolitionists and stuff like that. So it's kind of like hip hop humanism has kind of grown and it's still growing into what it is. But what we definitely are are about taking care of our community, uplifting and nurturing our children, mm-hmm. and just making sure that things are just as fair for our people too. You know, because unfortunately, right now we can't escape or escape seeing that things aren't right in America. Right. So we're all for trying to make it better. You know, exactly. So what's the sustainability with that? Because we all want to go into our neighbor, our old neighborhoods and make it better because none of our neighborhoods, when we go back to them, look the same. I know for right. me, for me um, I grew up in Brooklyn on Bushwick Avenue, one of the worst avenues right. you probably could even think of. And to go back to it now, it's been gentrified. Right. It's, yeah, it's a lot of that going on. Right? I, I, it's like I've never seen so many white people on Bushwick Avenue a day in my life. <laughs> right, but hey, right, right. Yeah, they're doing a lot of that. They so, definitely are. Um, you asked me what, like, how do we make programs and stuff that so, are sustainable? Right. Well, the thing is, like, for example, in Delaware, our most, the one that took on the most, was Andre Saunders, We Teach Kids to Fish. Okay. And when I got to Delaware, I got there in 2016, but I talked to my cousin, that's my cousin Andre Saunders, in 2017, April 2017, and he was telling me how he wanted to have a fishing tournament and have like a mentorship program for kids that was around fishing and Brandywine was right there. Mm-hmm. And he just had so much passion about it, you know? Mm-hmm. And I knew what I wanted to do. Like, he didn't really know about the organization that I had yet. This was just conversation between family talking, you know? Right. And I was like, wow, this sounds like exactly the thing that I'm trying to do. I never even thought about fishing, mm-hmm. you know? And um, <clears throat> so what we did is, so when we... We use, use assets that are going to last a long time. The Brandywine River, unless something extreme happens, is going to be there. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Right. So you got that. And then my cousin, the reason why it's Andre Saunders we teach kids to fish is because he was so passionate about it. So you have to find somebody. If it's not you, if you're just good at starting it, but you can find someone to pass the torch to, you want to have someone who's very passionate about what that what that program is because they're going to carry the torch. It'll be like their baby. You know what I mean? And then you find others in the community that are willing to volunteer their time. Like the first one we did, like it was like each year that went past, it got bigger. The first one we did, it was a small amount of kids, you know, and it got bigger and bigger. So we got um, volunteers from the community. We got donations from the community. We found organizations that um, give out um, food anyway. So we said, hey, we're having this event. Would you like, can you bring us over some breakfast sandwiches? They were from Wawa, you know? They said, yes, of course. They actually brought them to us. So we had breakfast for people that came early. Then we had, you know, and then that's when the businesses in the community have to get involved too. You should be getting some type of sponsorship when people see that, especially if if they're in your community. So we started having where Grotto's Pizza started donating pizzas while chicken started donating chicken like the community it's all about the community the community has to be active and want to make something want it to be something Mm -hmm. without that community support it won't grow that's very true and that's why i was concerned about the sustainability because we see so many things within our communities that start and then they fade away right Mm -hmm. we gotta be able to find motivated people, and and while we're doing it, you have to see who else is just as motivated. You have to think about, okay, who could I pass the reins to? Who, if I was sick, could you know, could overlook this the way that I would? And then you start to, you know, you start to mentor a predecessor. It's all a, it's all about us, though. It's like if we drop the ball, the ball just falls. Like no one's gonna come and grab it. So we got to pass the ball. So we have to, we have to make it. Set it up for success from the beginning, mm-hmm. and that's by finding your motive, your motivated people. Because the, the businesses in your community, as long as they can help, once they start helping, they'll continue to help. As long as the program is still doing what it's supposed to do, like that'll be their yearly thing. They already know. Hey, here comes August. You know, such and such program. This is what we're doing. 
So it's all about the, the community and the people and passing it on. And a lot of times, like, some of those kids, like, the first one we had, it was the first time they ever fished. Mm-hmm. And their excitement level made the adults excited. And it made everybody look look forward to it year two. So year two, you got more adults. You know, they told, hey, man, last year I did this. So they brought their friends. And their friends might have brought their friends and then their kids. So it continues to grow. So it's really based on the community wanting, to, wanting it to thrive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So in the light of George Floyd, how... How are you able to sustain these things? Because we see so many, again, so many things are falling apart and we've lost track of our our goal, right? Right. How do you well, get... Well, you know... Uh, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, that's okay. How do you get us get, get the community back on track? Because right now everyone is in that devastation stage of I don't want to because of the pushback from police, the pushback from, you know, this organization. So how do you encourage involvement, continued involvement? Well, that's the thing, like, how can I explain it? And in what we're doing, you have people that have a lot of different roles and you have some people who have the ability to deal with police in a way that is effective and they don't have any fear when they do it. So it is it assists in their effectiveness. Mm-hmm. So I think it's smart to find the people that are good to deal with the police. And I think like the community things that we do, um, sometimes the police pull up on us, mm-hmm. but they don't do anything because we're not doing anything wrong. Like we make sure we know the, know our laws and our rights. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it varies from state to state. You have other police that are a little more aggressive, but you just can't have the fear. You know, you can't have fear when trying to make your community better. You got to just do it, you know, mm-hmm. no matter what comes with it. But yeah, you just, you can't leave with fear, you know. Um, anytime I go out and protest or anytime that I've been fortunate enough to be included in activities that we gave back to the community, like I didn't ever even think about I didn't even think about it, you know, and I think that as we continue to be out there, those of us that are, you know, prepared to deal with the climate now, that will give others, you know, others the strength to come out too. Like they might, first they might come out on a porch and just look at us. Mm -hmm. Then they might come across the street. Then the next thing you know, they come and engage, you know, we just have to. Those that are out there just have to stay out there and stay consistent. I always tell people it's a it's a marathon, not a sprint. So we just got to keep consistent in our numbers. Of All right. So tell me about the hip hop human humanism because I was on your page and I was like, oh my god, that's Dana Dane and oh look at this Kwame and I'm listening <laughs> and I'm rapping in my head while I'm listening. You know. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, hip hop humanism. It was it was initially created to just um, showcase, uplift, and promote positive hip hop artistry. But also, where the humanism come in, I feel like back when I was coming up and back when hip hop first came out, it was more about our communities. It was more about humans, um, artists that participated in the craft were more mindful of their communities. They thought about their children. I just posted um, a video on Facebook not too long ago where it's showing different rappers from the past talking about the importance of being mindful of their lyrics because there's children that are watching and they want to uplift them and motivate them and, you know, cultivate them and stuff like that. So we always, we consider hip-hop and humanism to go hand-in-hand. What humanism is, is caring about other humans, not because they look like you as far as race, not because they're female or male, not because of anything. Mm-hmm. Just because they're a human being that is loving one another because we're all humans, we're all here together trying to make it through the earth. And, you know, I really believe if more people cared about humans like they care about, you know, some just how, how they even feel about animals sometimes, mm-hmm. the world would be a better place, you know. So they go hand in hand. 
And it just continues to grow. At first, it was about getting the artistry out there. Then we ended up saying, okay, you know, hip-hop is in the hood. That's something that I often say when I, like one of my taglines, hip-hop is in the hood. But we said, okay, we definitely got to give back to our neighborhood. So we became more active in the neighborhood. And then with the thing going on in America with police brutality or police doing the wrong thing, it's like we have to get involved. It's like different things are happening that for us to be who we say, we have to get involved, and we always will. You know, it's about humans making better life for humans. Just because we're humans, you know. Absolutely. So that's what it. That's what it does. Oh, and we also we now have. Um, it's not just in America. We have hip hop humanism Kenya, and we have hip hop humanism Nairobi, and we're working on Nigeria. What? So that's that's a yeah. That's something that we're looking um, looking forward to right now in Kenya. Some of the things that we're doing is we don't only help promote their our, their artistry, but we also take donations and we give we give back to them. They've been hurt really really hard with this coronavirus, so you know we just send some things their way and actually you know help them help human conditions, right? Right. We, you know, just helping each other. Just you know the things the way I think that it was intended for us to do. So. That's what the population is doing. That's awesome because being a healthcare provider that I am and a teacher, that's one of the things that I teach all the time and I say all the time. We are a human. We're taking care mm-hmm. of the human body first. Who cares what color, race, creed, whatever, who you love and it doesn't matter to me because right. at the end of the day, when you strip off that skin, we all right. look the same. Right. Right? Unless you're an anthropologist, exactly. you know, then anthropologists can tell you different. But <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> We're not going that deep. But just to take that first surface level off, we all look the same. So exactly. I, I think we need to get back to that. And I think that's the, the big thing that I love about what you're doing with not only hip hop humanism, but also in the community, because we need to show the kids that one, they're not doing this by themselves. They have support, right. you know, cause right. that, that's, that's one of the things kids think, Oh, you don't care about me. You're just here for the moment. Right. Right. So yeah, that's definitely something we're trying to, when it's like me, the youth is like one of my biggest focuses because you know, the song by Whitney Houston, The Children Are Our Future. Mm-hmm. Like, it's really, like, it re- they really are, though. You know, it's like, it's like children are a master reset. Like, so no matter what's going on with your generation, my generation, the one above me, the one before them, all the things that we did wrong, we can fix in our kids. Like, you know, like our parents, maybe our grandparents, they weren't really good when it came to knowing the, how the world worked with banks and stocks and bonds, but they made sure my grandparents, when they did learn in their old age, they made sure me as a child knew that. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like we try to make our, I always promote to try to make our children better. Our children should be better than us. I had seen this meme on, on Facebook and it said, would you change, would you trade places with this generation today? And everybody's like, no, no, no. And I said, yeah. The answer may be no, but it's our fault that the answer's no. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, it's our fault the answer's no. And why not change that language? Mm-hmm. If you're saying no, why are you saying no, and how can you make it better? Right. What can we do? Exactly. And that's what I'm trying to do. And that's what I try to encourage others to do, man. Like, when it comes to our children, man, like, even if you just tell them just something, they just, they're just sponges. They want to learn from us. They learn everything from us, mm-hmm. you know? So everything that we teach them, is going, they're going to become a product of it. That's why I'm very protective of kids, and I believe that we should really cultivate and take time with our children and, you know, whatever they're interested in. You know, check that out. I had a conversation with, um, I'm 39, I had a conversation with a 29-year-old, a 42-year-old, 
a 45-year-old, and a 33-year-old. And we all agreed that we wished our parents would have paid more attention to the things that we were good at. Mm -hmm. We wish our parents would have, you know, paid more attention to the things that we were interested in. So when I think of that, that's why I'm so, I, you know, I put out to people like, hey, ask your kids, your kid like painting. This is how you can help cultivate that. You know, I think all that stuff is important. I don't want them to be 39 like I wish my mama would have. Like, you know what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, and I'm one of those people too at 45 saying, I wish my mom would have known that I love to dance and put me right, in a drill right. team. So I do get that. And when I had my kids, my girls, you know, they're 24 and 23 now. And the 23-year-old is like, Mom, thank you so much. Because everything we wanted to do, you allowed us to try it until we got tired. Not till you got tired. Until we got tired and didn't want to do it anymore. You know, and she was like, we appreciate that because no, a lot of my friends don't have that and didn't have that. And as a single mom, that was like, oh, thanks. <laughs> but, right, exactly. But it stems from not getting that validation as a child for myself right. that I chose to do the opposite, right? Make our children better than what we are. Right, exactly. That's what it's about. Yeah, so I, that's what I believe it's about. Yeah, I, I, you know, and how many do your organizations cross over and join to do big events at all? With well, in Delaware, since I've um, been going back now, and that's like the place that I've decided to protest where I'm from, even though I stay in North Carolina, there are a few different organizations that I've been connecting with, and we do have been doing things together. Um, um, Justice for the Injustice is one that was started by Donna Brown. Her son was a victim of police brutality. Mm -hmm. He was shot in the back oh. by a police officer. Um, she's still trying to get justice for him. Luckily, um, there was recording of what happened afterwards that caught this officer trying to find evidence. Luckily, we had a uh, recording. Wow. That showed that, so, you know, they dropped all the charges against him, but we still haven't got justice for the crime that was committed against him. So that's one. Then we have the Black Liberation Movement and um, Black Lives Matter Delaware, which is led by McKee Booker. He's one of the, I don't want to say, when I say oldest activist, I don't mean like he's old and age, mm -hmm. but he's um, he's been doing it for a long time. Gotcha. So he's one of the more seasoned activists. He's seasoned, that's a good word. Mm -hmm. He's one of the more seasoned <laughs> activist in, in Wilmington, and he's the one that does a lot of the food drives, like giving giving out food to those that need it, giving out clothing and stuff like that. So we definitely come together, and, and it's all about communication of knowing who's who out there. As I um, spend more time in Delaware with these efforts, I meet more and more different programs. So we definitely are working together and try to join together. I haven't been able to link up with too many outside of Delaware yet, but I look forward to it, mm -hmm. most definitely. That's awesome. So how has corona stunted, stunt, I don't want to say stunt. Right. How, how has it put a, a wrench in what it is that you're trying to do in the community? How, how hard has it made it? Um, unfortunately... One of the major things that Corona changed for hip-hop humanism is I used to be on the radio. I used to go to Baltimore. I would drive there every Thursday from North Carolina to be on the radio. Mm -hmm. And we, we, you know, with Corona going on, we eventually lost the station, you know. Mm -hmm. So now I don't have anywhere to be on the radio as of yet. So I had to take a step back from that, which was really hard because she had the internet radio hooked up so I reached like every state in the United States and over 120 countries mm -hmm. so I kind of lost that platform but I really really enjoyed it I used to you know I had two hours and sometimes I would talk about you know things that we can do to help ourselves financially mm -hmm. um, I talked about medical stuff I talked about different statistics stuff uplifting stuff so I just missed that platform because I felt like I got to talk to more people 
you know? So mm-hmm. that was one of the things that is stunted. Um, another thing that this year, because of the virus, we weren't able to have the fishing tournament, which made me sad. I, I really, really wanted to do it, but my cousin, since it is his baby now, he was like, no, you know, he wants to keep his community safe, of course. Mm-hmm. So we didn't do it this year. So that was a little sad, but we're hoping that next year things will get better or we might be able to maybe do something in the spring. Okay. You know, because you can definitely fish in the spring, you know. Right. So we're trying to to see how we can work around it. But uh, other than that, it hasn't really stopped anything. We just continue to make sure that we're safe when I do go out and protest. I make sure I wear my mask. You know, try to just keep ourselves ourselves safe Mm -hmm. and still, you know, live our life with a sense of normalcy. Yeah sense of normalcy this is going to be our new norm right this is what i think too i was like i think this is the new normal and i don't know how i feel about it that's what (laughs) we just said that i don't know how i feel about wearing a mask you know i know it's to protect me and you know those around me but it does put a damper on your socializing it does and then you have to scream all the time Yes. Which can get a little aggravated by what you say. So either you got to scream or take your mask down. So it's a lot. It's definitely a lot. Exactly. So I, you know, I don't know how we're going to get around that, but it is definitely great to see that we still have passionate people out there that still care about their community. And, you know, with the riots and things that have been going on and that, you know, it's our, um, we're destroying our own communities. It's it's a great thing to see that no, it's not us destroying our communities. We are peacefully protesting, and right. and sh- and showing our uh, disgruntledness against the brutality. Yeah, I think a lot of times, or most of the time, the media plays a big part on what the world sees and mm-hmm. what the world thinks. You know, so. I think now a lot of more people are paying attention mm-hmm. to the people that are rioting and looting mm-hmm. and what they look like and what they stand for, you know, and you can tell like there's a clear difference between usually when there's a peaceful protest, it's peaceful. Mm-hmm. It's either peaceful or it's not. It's rarely ever a, a, a mixture, you know? Right. So I think a lot of, a lot more people are paying attention to what's going on. Some people just want to break stuff up. It doesn't have anything to do with justice at all. They want to be a menace. Most people that want to change are trying to do something about it, you know? Right. Not just protesting, but trying to get some legislation changed. You know, finding out, finding what's going on and, you know, banding together. So it's definitely, it's a process, man. It's a lot of moving parts. And and people, I would suggest to, like, really pay attention to what's going on. I mean, I can only vouch, vouch for Black Lives Matter in Delaware, and the Black Lives Matter Delaware cares about its community. It's not trying to riot. It's not trying to hurt anybody. We are against police brutality, but that same effort we put into our communities trying to uplift it and do something about the things that we have going on there, mm-hmm. you know? Right. And I think that's what it should be about. It's when they say Black Lives Matter, it's on and on every spectrum. Mm-hmm. And it always upsets me when people are like, well, if Black Lives Matter, Black people wouldn't be killing each other. It was like the, the things that are going on within ourselves doesn't mean that the government, government officials should be able to treat us any type of way. And not all of us are hurting. If every Black person was killing and being a menace, this will be a totally different world. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Exactly. So you're saying for this percentage of people that like to behave in violent ways because they're doing that, these people that are being violated innocently, innocently, it shouldn't matter because they have the same view. It just doesn't make sense, you know? No. I never understand when people say that. I, I don't either. <laughs> but it, it just it reminds me of the 1960 riots and the you know the walks that we've done that our our ancestors our grandparents for goodness sakes right have done Mm -hmm. and even then no one could understand why 
why you care so much what we do to black people for right it's like what do you mean <laughs> right it's like, excuse like, me. Uh, hmm. so it just takes yeah. me back to to seeing those images and you know because we all grew up with it in our homes especially you right. know being educated by our grandparents we grew up mm-hmm. with knowing where we, we should go shouldn't go because of the color of our skin and it all stems right. from right them not believing that we have any value as a human being, you know, so that, that's, it just boggles my mind. I can go on a rant about that forever, (laughs) but yeah, I'm with you on that. My question is, I know they, they're talking about, we talked about police and police brutality. And one of the big things that is going on social media and just the media in general is defunding police, right? How do you feel about right. that? Um, I think that the, the word defunding the police is something that people were saying out of a sense of desperate or feeling desperate because they didn't know what else to say. They're like, the police is killing everyone. They've lost their damn mind. Defund them, right. you know? Um, so when I heard that, like, I, I live alone right now, so... The first thing that went to my mind is if you defund the police, that means there's less police mm-hmm. on patrol. So who do I call if I need help? Right. So that's how I, that's how I really thought about it. Like I'm kind of logical, you know. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, who do I call if I need help? I'm like, so what do they mean by defund the police? So once I figured out what they were saying, I think what what needs to be done is they need to reallocate some funds. Right. So if you have a two thousand, they usually have the most updated vehicle. If you have a 2019-2020 vehicle as your patrol car, you don't need the 2021. Put that money to something else, like body cams. Right now, in Wilmington, Delaware, most of all the precincts, like, there's only, like, a small percentage, like, maybe 3% that have body cams. Wow. So, just recently, they've come out with these little segways that they have. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, with the two wheels and you can scoot around. Like, they have them. They're just zipping all around. <laughs> you know, they're very nice. Mm-hmm. That's nice. Great for y'all. Where's the body cam? Right. So I think that they need to look at their budget, see where money is going on stuff that they don't need to really pay or buy or repurchase or, you know, refurbish and put it in better places. Mm-hmm. Now, I know a lot of people would like some of that money to be taken from the police and put back into the community. And I'm not opposed to that, but I'm not really sure on that lane. On my lane with it is they need to take some of those funds and do things within their own ranks, like the body cam. There, Every police force should have body cam, in my opinion. That just makes sense to me, you know? So, But I also so I think they need to reallocate their funds not necessarily defund them because when you say defund, you're saying take the money, but you're not telling them where to put it. I agree. I agree. Now I was just wondering what was your take on it? Because I feel the same way and we need to re-educate. Right. Re-educate in inclusiveness and diversity and not so quick to, to draw, to be on the draw when you go out into the communities. You know, and right. I think that that's where it should begin. Take when we say reallocate funds, that's where I see some of those funds should be reallocated to uh, reeducating our police to understand the communities yes. they're supposed to serve and protect. I agree. They definitely need more training, and they, I think, like when you look into their bylaws, they have this thing called the use of force continuum, and the use of force continuum is pretty much. Uh, quote-unquote law, I say law for lack of a better word, that the police are supposed to follow when they're dealing with citizens or, you know, possible suspects. And once you learn that and you start to see these independent civilian um, cell phone footage or even body cams, you start to see that the police are breaking these bylaws that blatantly, you know? Mm -hmm. And there seems to be no type of repercussion for that it's like the police breaks the law and then everybody goes home but the person that got assaulted or hurt by the police you know what i mean right and i think that i think that 
the, I think that as, as citizens, we need to learn what the police laws are so we can identify when they're breaking it. And then once they do break it, we need support from, you know, our council members and stuff like that to get these people prosecuted when they do the wrong thing. You know, mm-hmm. they oftentimes, they, so the police, not only do they need to have sensitivity training and have training on how to deal with people, they need to actually follow their their own rules that they have set. They really don't follow them. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen, like, you might see a group of people yelling at the police and the police walk over and put his hands on the, the loudest person. Mm-hmm. They're not supposed to do that. But no. so many people don't know that. They think that's what the police do. No, no they're not supposed to put their hands on you just because you're running your mouth. Mm-hmm. Like, nope. they're not. But nobody says anything, so it just keeps on going. And I think these police officers get to a point, or they're at a point now, where they to themselves think, oh, it's part of the job. It's, yeah, this is what the regulation says, but this is what we do. Like, no. It's- they don't have no accountability. So they're just running around you know, doing whatever they want. Yeah. And that's that they're going to keep doing that. Wow. It's like, um, when you say that, I think of our scope of practice as nurses and nurse practitioners. It's like, we can't go out and do surgery because we watch it on TV and we, we've seen it done a hundred times. So we feel like it's okay. Right. If that's not within our scope. So our scope of practice is not in our bylaws and our, in our regulations. So, Definitely, I can see that. And probably, how many of them probably even read it? And <laughs> Right, right. I think, well, I can only, like, in the military, when you're going, when they're teaching you the different regs and regulations, you actually do go over it. Now, how deeply inbred it is, so that's why I assume that they do, too. So this is only an assumption that they're actually going over this literature. They learn know? it in the academy, absolutely. You know, right, but then it's gone. Then it's gone, yeah. right? Un- un- unlike us in the military where we see it again and we're called on it right. again to right. so that right. we can recollect, recollect on it and actually implement it. Whereas I don't think that's happening in the police force. It's learned in the academy and then forgotten. I agree. I was having this conversation with someone before and I said, I think that when they're when they're recruits and they're coming through, that they're taught all the right stuff. And I said, I think they probably get to their, you know, where they're going to work. And someone tells them, yeah, I know what you learned in school, but this is how we really do it. Yeah. Like, I just feel like that conversation is happening. You well, know what I mean? And, so, and I, and I yeah. can, I can attest to that because from a nursing perspective, we teach them the right way in, in school. And as soon as they get their job, just like you said, I know what you learned in school, but this is how we do it here on this unit. Right. So it's right. it's definitely, I can definitely see that uh, sad, but um, yeah. And then you want to fall into um, the nature of the environment that you live in because you don't want to be that one that's doing everything you're supposed to do the right way. Right, right. Yeah. Wow. And then it's hard, I think, for... When, a, when an officer, like when I went in the military and they was teaching me all of that stuff, like I took it so seriously. So when I seen other people doing the wrong thing, especially those that outranked me, it was really odd to me. I was, I didn't feel like, oh, okay, we do it the wrong way. I was like, man, they doing it the wrong way. Like, what's up with that? Mm-hmm. Now in the military, I had a little more leeway to get on them about that. Like, come on, Sarge, you know X, Y, Z. What could they say? Right. You know what I mean? Because that is the standard. However, when it comes to the civilian police, when an, a good officer or an officer that stands up to something that's going wrong does so, they get terminated. Yeah. They get ostracized. Or they get put in a position where they're scared to go out on their beat because no one's going to come help them if something goes down, mm-hmm. you know? So we got to make it to where we have to, if we start making officers more accountable for what they do, that destroys the good old boy system. Okay. Cause in the military, if say, say you came up hot, which means you failed a piss test. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter how much the commander liked you. He had to punish you mm-hmm. because of the uniform code of military justice. 
Yep. So it kind of destroyed the good old boy system, you know? Mm-hmm. So if they have that more accountability, I think that will help destroy the good old boy system. And then that will also help good officers be able to do their job and be like, hey, this officer is doing the wrong thing. Get him out of here, mm-hmm. you know? And once people start seeing that, it will build the trust back up between the citizens and the police. Yes. Like to see, like, okay, he might not do the wrong thing, but at least I, he might not do the right thing, but at least I know he'll get punished for it. Now it's like, he going to do the wrong thing and walk away free, you know? So why should I trust him? Why should I stop? Why shouldn't I try to get away? Like, I feel like if the police stop me, I'm not doing anything wrong. You know, everything is good. I feel like I would be terrified. Absolutely. Like always. I always say I'm going on Facebook Live if the police pull me over. <laughs> it's a shame I have to feel that way. And I'm and I'm not a criminal, you know? Mm-hmm. That's the first thing a lot of people want to say. Well, if she do the right thing, like, nah, no. it's, it's past that. You can do the right thing and still die. Yes, yes. And and that's my fear. I was walking with a friend and she jokingly said, um, if we get lost, we can call the, we can ask this cop right here. And I looked at her like, no, we're not. Like, nah. <laughs> no, we're going to yeah. figure out where we are and keep it moving. Right. And it's a shame we have to feel that way. We shouldn't have to feel that way about a police. No, no. And, um, yeah. And it's just the fear that continues to grow. And yeah. it, it's, it's, I think it, I don't think I will see it in my lifetime. Um, a community that feels comfortable completely in law enforcement with the law enforcement yeah me either but i'm hoping to get it that way or at least our grandchildren or at least be breaking some something you know absolutely that that and that's exactly what you're fighting for with the community within the community and what you know i'm fighting for and putting out the information and going into the community and teaching um, our community not only about their health and wellness but maintaining their safety within the community when approached by law enforcement if ever right Right. So right. We, it's a shame we even have to do that it really, <laughs> but until, until we don't I think that's an excellent idea it, yep. Yep. It, you know it, it really is a shame that we have to do that you know you have young kids who we, we are teaching our young men and women now, before it was just young men who, if you're stopped by the police, put your hands up and don't move. Or, right. you know, uh, if you're stopped in the car, make sure you have all your identification in a Ziploc bag and hang it outside the window. I, I just, it's a sad that we have to go into our communities and give these kind of conversations just so that we can save our own lives and the lives of our children. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Very sad. I feel like, um, like we said about the 60s, the 40s and 60s of our grandparents coming up, we're just going backwards. This, This legislation just took us so many years backwards and now we have to get our footing in and re- and catch up again. Well, I definitely think that I think it's different from the 60s in a way of back then, the things that they fought for and they got, that they gave us, and it seemed like they gave us so much that everybody's like, okay, we can chill. I can, I can make a decent living. I can do this. I can do that. I can go here. You know what I mean? Yes. So we didn't really think about all of the meat and potatoes of the problem. You know yes. What I mean? So I think now, though, with this, especially with this generation now and with millennials, I don't see it stopping anytime soon. I don't see like two years from now, nobody's going to care. I feel like it's it's they it's like you you ever have a loose string and you start pulling it, mm-hmm. and then you notice and you keep pulling it and pulling it and pulling it, and the next thing you know, you got a big old hole mm-hmm. in whatever you was pulling out of. I don't think that they're going to stop pulling on that string. I think that a lot of change is going to come from what's going on. I definitely do. And like you said, we might not see it in our lifetime, but I think that 
not, the time is now and what's going on that our children or at least our children's children are going to start to if not reap some benefits. Because I definitely know we're, we're changing legislation every day. Absolutely. I know that's going to continue, you know. Absolutely. So. And I do believe that in that our kids and the young kids are going to just keep pushing because they mm-hmm. have they have that stamina and that momentum and that fearlessness mm-hmm. that yep. you know we don't have anymore. We may have had once upon a time. Old, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> look, we're getting old. We <laughs> every t- every decade older I get, I notice I get a little more. Uh, I care a little bit more about what's going on with my body. Exactly. You know? The things I did at 19, I would never do at 39. Like, never. Right. So, you're right. Yeah, most definitely. Right. They got it. Yep. So, I, you know, I, I just thank you. Thank you. Thank you again for chatting with me. Thank you for the work that you're doing in the community. Um, if oh, you need a health speaker, you know, you got it. I am always happy to talk about health healthcare, health advocacy, because our community has one of the biggest healthcare deficits of healthcare inequity that yeah. um, the un- within the United States and before That's COVID. That's a whole show in itself right there. Isn't it? <laughs> um, yes, ma'am. Actually, I talked about it a little bit in one of the other episodes, um, you know, the one before this one. And I... It's just something that just, it keeps growing. And even though they're trying to close it, the more we have things like police brutality going on and um, human health and services wanting to delineate who and you can and can't take care of because of your religious rights, you have the right to choose now. Um, That's currently on the Supreme Court docket. I, I just don't understand. <laughs> it's human right. life, right? So, yeah. um, yeah, I definitely would love to be a part of that and champion on, you know, healthcare, healthcare awareness, and healthcare advocacy, hopefully to decrease healthcare literacy within our communities. So, yeah, I would definitely, like I said, hopefully we'll be getting back on getting back to a radio. Um, a place to have a radio station soon. And when that happens, I definitely would love for you to come on the show. And before that, um, we can figure out something too. Because I, I really believe in, you know, where neighborhoods are set up in uh, urban communities, it's kind of set up to kill us, you know? Absolutely. And I think that, you know, knowledge is power. So the more knowledge people know, the better choices they can make. Absolutely. Absolutely. So. You know where to find me. <laughs> yes, ma'am. I appreciate you for having me and chatting. Yes, thank yeah. you. I appreciate you so, so much. And um, thank you. And we will definitely be talking again on another episode because I, I just feel like our conversation is not going to end here um, oh, on any level. We definitely got some things we could chat about. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And I look forward to talking with you again. And um, actually, I probably, I yeah, we're we're gonna chat some more about hip hop humanism because that's just that's that's I love that. I just I was watching everybody's oh, videos you. and I'm like, oh my god, this is awesome. Um, so we'll definitely oh, chat you. more about that as well. Okay, I'm looking forward to it. What a great conversation. Um, We could have gone on and on about so many different topics within our community that we both have passions about that I just had to stop our conversation so that uh, we didn't have like an hour, two hour long segment. But I am so grateful and blessed to be in the presence of Jay Renee, who is, again, also my cousin by marriage. Uh, still family nonetheless and um, the things that is happening within the community that she is 
so passionate about. As you can see, she travels from a distance just to be active in her old community. And that speaks volumes to not only the work that she does, but the person that she is and how she feels about the giving back to the community that she grew up in. So I, I hope there's something in there that ignites a passion within anyone who listens. And hopefully that sparks you to go out into your community and do some sort of community outreach. And no matter how small or how big, just even going into your neighborhood and talking with seniors, talking with the youth, whatever, just to be a presence to know that someone else cares about them. So um, with that, I'm going to close out this episode. So thank you for joining me. Thank you for uh, being a part of the Soulful Eclectic family, the tribe. And if you have not done so already, please subscribe, uh, rate the podcast, and also give me some feedback. Uh, Meet me on my Facebook page. You can send me a message. I have my Instagram page up and running. And you can also email me at dc at thesoulfuleclectic.com. Again, that's dc at thesoulfuleclectic.com. Just shoot me an email and give me your feedback. And I would love to hear from each and every one of you. So with that, I wish you all peace, love, and kindness always. Namaste.